So everybody, my name is Ember Kelly, Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York, my favorite mouthful of a title. Um, someday I, I hope to abbreviate all of that into something smaller like DRE at 4US. There we go, that's smaller, um, but not quite as easily understood. But I am really excited for our In Conversation uh, speaker tonight. Our In Conversation series happens once a month where we sit down with uh, a guest from uh, a background related to our topic of the month. Uh, in March, we've been talking about organizing. Uh, what is it? How do we do it? What motivates us? Uh, and on our, our podcast earlier this month, we had Tom join us as well. So if you have not checked out the podcast, make sure to check that out as well. But I am really excited to get to sit down tonight uh, and chat a little bit with Tom Burke, uh, who is an organizer with quite the story and lots of interesting experiences and lots of, of knowledge to share with us about, about how to be uh, a good organizer in these times. And so Tom, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see everybody. And Tom, would you like to uh, introduce yourself for uh, all of our listeners present and in the future? Sure, I'm uh, talking to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I live, and that's where I originally met Ember. And um, I'm a Chicagoan for most of my life. Uh, mostly today I do trade union organizing and I'm a stagehand with the Stagehands Union. Uh, in the past, I was a school custodian in a town called Oak Park outside Chicago and a member of the Service Employees Union. And before that, uh, and then I've always done anti-war activism and organizing uh, international solidarity but originally I became active around the uh, anti-apartheid movement with South Africa. And um, I was a college student at the time. So that's kind of my, my activism background. Surely that can't have been too long ago, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> you can bet it was in the eighties. <laughs> I'm also a member of a group called the Freedom Road Socialist Organization and uh, if you check us out, the three things we say we stand for are uh, revolution, socialism, and liberation. So, so uh, would you like to tell us uh, some of the things that you're you're currently uh, involved with in terms of organizing? I know in in Grand Rapids, actually, there was uh, I believe a rally just a few days ago, if I remember correctly. That's right. So. It's been one of the busiest months of my life, to be honest, and I, I wouldn't have predicted that a year ago, and I wouldn't have said it uh, in November or December, but um, it's the first time I've ever publicly told people that I need to slow down, that I've never really done that before. I've always said, let's keep going, and I, I said, well, I need to take a, a slower pace with things, but continue. So we just had a big rally with uh, 300 Asian American people in Grand Rapids, which the population's only 2% Asian and Pacific Islander people. But it's in response to the killings of all the women and uh, a couple of guys down in Atlanta. And um, it brought together many different Asian American nationalities, Filipino, Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, other people in solidarity. The leader of the NAACP showed up to give a solidarity speech, which was excellent, as well as a, an African-American county commissioner who uh, 
had had good things to say about people coming and fusing their movements and being unified that uh, as a society we need a we need a big push to uh, change the way people experience uh, life with all the shootings and anti-woman violence and uh, you know police violence and white supremacist violence so big turnout for Grand Rapids. We also had a, uh, I'm a stagehand, so we were out of work for a year now. So on St. Patrick's Day, we held a rally. I was the MC for a stagehands rally. 11 unions came together in the state capital of Lansing. And um, I, I wanna say that compared to a year ago, we've actually achieved a lot of what we were asking for. We have extended unemployment for those who can't return to work. Um, in this state, you know, you have a, a Republican-controlled legislature. You have right-to-work laws, just like the southern states now. And um, the Republicans are telling people unemployment's only at 7% and we can go back to work, claiming there's 270,000 unemployed. Meanwhile, there's 991,000 people receiving unemployment benefits. So even just surviving, workers surviving, you have the same political game that continues. But we're taking advantage of it by building rallies where we distance by six feet and wear masks, but we turn out good crowds to say, you know, we want unemployment, we want benefits, we want gig workers who aren't in unions to have the same benefits because we're trying to speak for all the working people and not just narrowly speak for stagehands. So that was another big one. And then Breonna Taylor actually was born in and lived in Grand Rapids uh, during her childhood. So we had a rally for her on the one year anniversary from uh, she moved to Louisville. And then we had a George Floyd rally, which is part of a national effort to win justice for George Floyd. And I would like to talk more about that later with people. Big crowds coming out in this small city, though. It's, it's really terrific. Right, right. I know Grand Rapids is, is, is a really interesting place. Uh, for, for context, for those that aren't as familiar with Grand Rapids as Tom and I are, uh, Grand Rapids, half of everything has the DeVos name on it uh, because uh, they are the big donors for everything. That is the same Betsy DeVos who was uh, Trump's Secretary of Education. So there is uh, some interesting dynamics at play in that city, that's for sure. Um, so Tom, you mentioned like how uh, at, this, at this rally about the, the violence against Asian American folks, that there was this, this solidarity across lines. In your mind, when you're organizing, when you're trying to do good organizing, make some real big change, like that, that seems like a, a pretty big thing is building this solidarity across, uh, across groups. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, even amongst Asian Americans, you have very different experiences, you know. Um, you know, the Filipinos who immigrate tend to go into healthcare jobs and lower sector immigrant jobs, lower sector of the working class, you know. Um, many come as nurses, so they get pretty good jobs as nurses, but, um, you know, it's a different experience for other Asian Americans who have been here for 140 years and have a long history. Um, you know, 
you, you can go back to repressive laws like the Chinese Exclusion Act in California, and then the Japanese Americans, of course, who were interned during World War II. But um, these different experiences and the fact that the US has waged war in Vietnam, which brought many refugees to the US and in Michigan, because Gerald Ford is from Grand Rapids and that's when the Vietnam War ended. So we have a Vietnamese population that's significant because they were like, oh, that's where Gerald Ford's from. So we'll go there, you know, he's the president. So he'll support us. So you have Republicans amongst the, some of the immigrant groups, but when there's an, such a vicious attack on, you know, so many women, everyone's gonna unite and push back on both of the parties, the, the white supremacists, you know, out there who are very public in Michigan, they threatened to kill our governor and they organized a, a plot to do it. So people are questioning whether they should be loyal to either party actually. And most of the crowd was 25 years old and younger and they have a very different experience and different politics to their parents. They're willing to look at the US wars and see the connection between, you know, 35 years of Democratic Party rhetoric against China, and then Trump comes and elevates it even higher. But, you know, last week, uh, Biden sent uh, uh, Blinken to go confront the Chinese. And it's just a steady drumbeat from whoever's in office now. And um, it creates a context that's hostile to Asian Americans. And it's not me saying this. I thought that before, but all the speakers addressed it. And to build unity, they, they have to have some difficult conversations because many of them are business owners and Republican. And then the African-Americans who came out, they were well aware that other African-Americans in Grand Rapids were saying, why should we turn up? These people treat us terribly, the store owners and the business owners. So I played a role in calling some of the uh, politicians who are Asian American and said, you, you have to turn out for this and send a message of unity because we have to acknowledge people's, uh, you know, feelings and we have to acknowledge, listen to what people are telling us. They're not making up stories, you know, out of thin air. They're, they're experiencing these things over decades. But right now we need to unite to defeat the white supremacists. And frankly, the police response in Georgia was so terrible, you know, justifying what this white guy did. So um, that, that's what we did. We, we, we had a lot of conversations that led to a unifying message and challenge people to build on that, you know? Not always easy. <laughs> so in addition to unity, what are like some other really key things that organizers should really be focusing on in terms of like building lasting powerful movements? Obviously unity is a key element. Like what, what are some other things that really help build strong movements in your mind? I mean, to speak specifically, um, you know, the movement, the uprising against the killing of George Floyd is like nothing we've seen since, uh, you know, I was a small child during the 60s and early 70s. So uh, 
believe it or not, I was in first grade and we walked out when Kent State killings happened. We, uh, well, we didn't walk out. We refused to walk into the school. And then we took off marching with uh, all the teachers chasing us because <laughs> we almost made it out into the neighborhood, you know. And this was a school that was mostly uh, white ethnics, you know, Irish, Italian, Polish, and almost entirely Catholics, you know, uh, not 100 percent, but a, a really strong kind of Catholic anti-war sentiment amongst us by the time uh, Kent State happened. So, you know, that that kind of uh, politics exists even amongst children. And I think with the George Floyd uprising, it's the biggest thing we've seen, you know, and it reached communities that people didn't think would ever protest. Um, you lived in Wisconsin, you're from Wisconsin. Kenosha became a big place for this movement. And I've been there seven, eight times. I couldn't believe it, you know? And, and, and then it, it, it has deep roots. So the, the Middle Eastern man whose auto used auto lot was burned to pieces, he got on the news and said, I would build another lot of cars for them to burn if it meant the police would stop killing black people. You know, so you have these incredible uh, moments in these movements that, you know, again, people are facing difficulty and repression and wages haven't gone up in our, our lifetime, at least not since the late 90s, you know. It's been a steady decline overall, but um, two years in the 90s, they went up a couple of years. But it, otherwise, people are uh, kind of getting fed up. Uh, the fact that young people favor socialism, um, it's mind boggling to me because that certainly wasn't on anyone's mind in the 1990s. And now it's everywhere. But what's the key to organizing? The key to organizing is having an, an analysis, a political outlook of what you want to do, what you want to change. And then the big one is you go out and listen to people. You interact with them, you know, propose simple ideas, and then listen very carefully. And in the union, we always say, if you're talking more than you're listening, then you're not actually organizing. Because we have to have the feedback if we're going to lead people. And we call this the mass line, where first you observe and analyze, then you begin to participate and listen and get feedback. And then you, you go out and organize again. So that's kind of the, the back and forth of it in a simple way. Well, I think I can say as, as somebody with, with two master's degrees, that that is not what is taught in school uh, is to not to, uh, it's, it's often talking about ideas. Like lots of people are writing papers about like, uh, you know, the white supremacy in such and such movie, but then they don't really want to like actually go out and talk to people or something. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it becomes very like detached, like it's, it's interesting and it can be important and insightful in the academic world. But I think a, a lot of academics and then it influences culture um, that we kind of view white supremacy, these things as these kind of aloof ideas that we can just think about and casually discuss and not things that are impacting tons of people's lives that we, um, you know, should be getting to understand them and seeing what's going on in their lives and really building those connections. That's right. 
So, you know, one of, one of the things uh, organizing a rally for unemployment, we talk about solidarity with the Amazon workers down in Bessemer, Alabama. Well, if you're gonna talk about workers in Alabama, you gotta talk about the black national question in the South, that, you know, black people in the South suffer a special kind of oppression that's even different than say the South side or West side of Chicago or uh, parts of New York, that um, the South is truly a special place. And so the workforce in Bessemer I hear is like 70% black and the leadership of the union drive uh, looks like it's mostly black. And, you know, unions around the country are having rallies and other people who they're not in unions that many of them wish they were and have the desire to be, but they're putting on rallies so that they can help make this happen. And, you know, someone, someone like uh, the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, who has $200 billion in his pocket. And he, he pretty much decides by himself where the warehouse gets built in Grand Rapids here by the airport. Uh, this allows workers to see, well, we, we can actually spread democracy and build unity across, you know, gender and nationality and other, you know, religion, other things that may be used to attempt to divide us. But, you know, we have to have uh, leaders who are willing to step up and try things out. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of young people out there who right now are organizing things and, um, they're not getting everything perfect and that's okay. The, the main thing is that they're trying it out and then they're getting together to learn lessons from it and kind of try it again. That's what I always say. Try, try again. Definitely. And it doesn't you know, have to be only young people, even those who are older and just getting into it can also uh, get, get, get pulled into that work as well. But, and it never hurts to, like you said, get doing the work and see learn learn from your mistakes i know i know i definitely did in my activism work um it, it is very easy to to make mistakes when you're just getting started with it um so one of the things with the looking at organizing this month that we we're kind of talking a little bit about like the past the present the future so i'm curious what are some lessons maybe some organizers that you really looked up to like what are some lessons from organizers who came before you that really guide you in the work that you do? So um, one of the things I did in 1988 is I took a trip to Ireland to see what was happening in Belfast and Derry and a small town called Straban. And there was a war on, you know, and uh, I see Carol shaking her head to that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and um uh, you know, I went there thinking, oh, well, I'll probably see, you know, uh, in a war, there's the British Army, and then there's the Irish Republican Army, which is an underground guerrilla army. And I thought, well, I'm going to see some things. And what I discovered there is the people who are really uh, putting their lives on the line and really taking risks, are the people who do what we on this call do, people who organize, you know, with with people in their community or their workplace that that's who was being killed by the British state. Not so much the, you know, gun fights that were happening. I mean, obviously people die in those, but 
there were death squads that were killing the people putting up the election posters. And there, there were death squads coming to people's homes who they thought were organizing the community. And so that was a big wake up call for me that um, it, it's not the kind of Che Guevara figure who, who the iconic figure who makes the revolution. It's the people doing the ordinary, very human, very humble work of day-to-day -day organizing. So that there was a man named Ivan Barr who was the mayor of a, a small town. He, he was a Sinn Féin mayor. And I spent three days with him that were very, very intense, but this was his entire life for decades <laughs> that he publicly, uh, you know, he having come from a Protestant background, the people who are pro-British really hated Ivan Barr for, you know, they saw him as a traitor and he saw himself as someone who was for all the people was trying to bring Catholics and Protestants together to have a new society, a united Ireland, where there was equality and fraternity and liberty. But um, he really put himself out there and uh, took risks. And uh, when I went home, I said, that's who I want to be like is, is Ivan Barr, you know. And then I've also been lucky to meet, um, like I work with uh, the, the, uh, Young Lords, uh, the founder of the Young Lords from Chicago, um, Cha-Cha Jimenez, he actually lives here in Michigan near me. So I've worked with him for the past seven years and we're very like-minded already, but you know, he started out in a street gang and turned it into a political movement. And that certainly scared uh, you know, the powers that be in Chicago and New York City. Um, I've known other people, uh, Frank Chapman, who just wrote a book on black liberation and socialism. Um, and then the organization I'm part of has uh, a whole layer of uh, women leaders. Most of our leaders are actually women from the 90s and 2000s. And, uh, you know, that's mainly who I've interacted with. And learned sometimes hard lessons from women pulling me by the collar and saying, quit being that dude. <laughs> you, you know better because we've taught you better. So the main thing is to have that collective fraternity. There's that word fraternity. And, uh, you know, kind of challenge each other and test each other. So you learn to be critical as well as self-critical and transform and improve. So. I hope that's a good answer. I think, I think it's a wonderful answer. Um, and then I'm kind of curious, so as we move to the, to the present, what are like some current challenges that you think that folks are facing in, in trying to change the world? Well, a big one that I see is I'm excited on the sentiment of all the young people who are like, you know, they liked Bernie and they're, uh, you know, saying they're socialist and, um, I never thought I would see the day where DSA said they were revolutionaries, but that's a that's a real phenomenon now. They always, uh, when I was younger, they always said uh, we're definitely not revolutionaries, you know. So that's a big change in people's consciousness, and I think it's because of the decline of the U.S. as an empire. You know, that's that's what we're participating in and witnessing, and um, I think we should help speed it along because. 
we need to have a new type of uh, society where everybody's taken care of and has health care and housing and jobs with decent wages. And we don't need we don't need billionaires who have 200 and 200 billion in their pocket. You know, it's 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 reached the point of ridiculous uh, decades ago. So we we have to do something dramatic to change it. Um, you know, the, the Amazon campaign, it's in one warehouse. It needs to be across the whole country, all together, all at one time. We need the AFL-CIO and the Teamsters unions to quit giving things lip service, you know, and quit dumping money into the, the, the Biden Democratic Party and take an independent stance and make big initiatives. They have to go big if we're going to win for working people. But we're just seeing the steady decline continue. And, um, you know, I'm calling on the postal workers, the Teamsters and the AFL-CIO to get together and make a big, bold plan. And some of them might have to risk, uh, you know, stepping out of their offices and actually talking to workers at job sites. You know, so that's that's my criticism of them come out and talk to real people who go to work instead of talking to politicians and thinking you're the equal of a lobbyist for multi-million dollar corporations because you're never going to be that. The lobbyists have you beat every time. Um, I don't know what what other things we face in terms of problems is, uh, you know, for all the young people who are socialists, they have to connect themselves with the working class and with the oppressed. It's not enough to talk about it. You said it earlier, Ember. You know, it's good to study when you're a student and it's good to think about things. It's good to observe what's happening, but it's that moment where you begin to interact. So you show up at a protest and maybe you're uncomfortable there, right? Um, I, I get that, you know, you're a different nationality than most of the people in the room or at, at a rally. Well. Think about how maybe they feel in most of the other social contexts where you feel comfortable. We got to get out there and talk to people who, you know, are looking for change and looking for something new. And I think it's uh, now is the best time since I've been organizing for it. But we have to start connecting with, you know, everyday people or, you know, working people, whatever, however you want to describe that, you know. Definitely. So then as we go to the future, um, what, what, uh, what lessons do you hope that we learn that we that you hope that we do better on? Like what, what do you hope for, for the future? What, what is your revolutionary hope? I guess. So there, there's something happening with the George Floyd movement, right? Which you had this big uprising. It included what I would call very advanced tactics, uh, vis-a-vis -vis the police and the politicians and the state, you know? And um, whether you agree with those tactics or not, uh, the masses of people were really angry and expressed it. You know, that's clear to everyone, whatever your opinion of that is. And in this current phase, the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression is calling George Floyd protests. So they called one on March 8th that like, I think 20 cities or so participated in. I think there'll be another round, maybe March 29th or around then. 
other forces in society, unions, churches, student groups are starting to take up the George Flo justice for George Floyd call again, because this big uprising was sustained over the summer into the fall, but then it receded again. So what brings it back? Organization. Organization is the only thing that will bring it back. And that's the gap that the National Alliance is trying to fill. They're calling for it and challenging people to come back out and organize protests and uh, with some success. And so it would be a shame if, uh, you know, more people don't join the protest as the trial proceeds. If you watch the jury selection process, I'm starting to think that the police may get off. You, you know, if, if you look at the jury selection, uh, you know, it's, it's just not a fair system. It's not a jury of your peers, you know? And it's very limiting and um, I don't know. I think if, uh, if he's not convicted of a crime and gets uh, prison time, I think you're gonna see uh, another uprising uh, in Minneapolis and across the country. And so I think we need to build more groups that are active and making practical demands on Wall Street, on the capitalists, and then also on the politicians and the government, you know? So that's where, there was a protest in Michigan last weekend where a lot of young people, and they had a really good call about what kind of society they wanted, uh, you know, environmental change and, um, you know, reform, abolish the, the police and, no more kids in cages on the border and a whole like 10 or 11 point agenda that's really, really good and inspiring. But, and what they did is they gathered at a park and, and marched through working class neighborhoods. And I like that because it was spirited and joyful even, but they need to take that and deliver a message to the people in power. So I'm saying they need to target either the mayors or the state legislators or the governor and send a clear political message and also get the media out so they reach hundreds of thousands, maybe millions with their protest of a few hundred people, you know? So people make mistakes, it, it, it's okay, but I, I think it's important to also challenge them to figure it out. A lot of young people are doing service work and charity work and they ask me what I think of it. And I'm careful not to be too critical because this is something new for them and they're trying and I appreciate they're trying. But again, we, the older people, we gotta listen and then help them. So I'm saying, okay, well, you're going out amongst the people who need, they need to help surviving right now, you know? Or they're being kicked out of housing or there's growing food lines while again, you know, Bezos and uh, uh, others are making, you know, just hand over fist billions, you know, not millions, billions. But they need to put demands on the people who have the power. And then they need to build organization. And, and that includes revolutionary groups, in my view, that will then challenge that power. But the more we're able to achieve organization, mass organization, 
labor movement strength, the more that we're gonna face repression because the police exist and always have existed to keep us in our places, whether it's the labor movement, the black movement, the Chicano movement, even the women's movement, you know, uh, suffragettes were, uh, you know, jailed and killed in Europe and the United States. So there's a long history of state repression that, you know, that's why it exists. <laughs> so big challenges ahead of us. Thank you. Yes. Well, I think, you know, connecting that with uh, what you talked about earlier with uh, your experiences in Ireland, that it's, it's the unglamorous part of organizing. It's not fun. It's not exciting to sit around and like be making these connections. I mean, it actually, it can be fun to make connections. That, that yeah, part you can, can be make fun. It fun. But, yeah. but, you know, it's not the glamorous. You're not like getting to be famous on, on Twitter and uh, becoming an Instagram influencer when you're doing this nitty gritty work that where you're getting to know people and getting to build these long-term lasting movements that we need. And so, um, some of it's very emotionally difficult, right? Mm, yes. um, you know, I, 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 I tend to be a little bit, uh, you know, willing to try almost anything and even uh, risk, you know, go into risky situations, but uh, not foolishly either. But, you know, sometimes you got to stand up when, you got to show others like this is a time to stand up and uh, take take on something difficult. But last summer we held a uh, march on the Democratic National Convention in Milwaukee, and I, I've led four or participated in leading four of the last uh, Republican National Convention protests. So, um, sorry, three, three, and. Um, this time I said, well, I'll go to Milwaukee and join the march on the DNC one and I helped co-chair it. And it, our approach is different than the Republicans. We're against Trump, we campaigned against him. We held hundreds of protests. You know, I helped talk to dozens and dozens of people across the country organizing protests against Trump over a five or six year period. So we're clear that our goal was to get rid of Trump, but we have an agenda that we wanted a progressive agenda we wanted the Democrats to respond to. And that includes Bernie and Biden and Kamala Harris. And, you know, we have a people's agenda that we don't think even Bernie could meet our agenda. So we, we put him in the same boat with them. We're in the streets and they're inside. Anyway, our agenda kind of went uh, into a second place position because of the killing of George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and others. So we gathered seven families from Milwaukee and uh, other parts of Wisconsin together. Five were African-American families. One was a Puerto Rican family and one was uh, Oneida people, Native American. And we had 500 people come out and rally with those families. But I'll tell you, speech after speech, we canceled all the speakers except for those families. And it was really difficult just to listen to their stories and listen to the grief and the suffering of those families. But they took um, power from meeting each other and having us give them a stage and a place to talk to the media and to demand justice. And so on the one hand, uh, it, 
it's so emotional and difficult. And as, as a person organizing that, you know, I had to greet seven families and tell them I was sorry for their loved ones being killed and express my condolences. And um, that's, a, that's a really difficult thing to do again and again and again. But I, we also gave them the power to, to speak and tell their story and uh, you know challenge the Democrats who rule most of the cities where these murders are occurring, I wanna point out. Um, you know, we voted to get rid of Trump, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm saying we have to build movements for change. The Democrats are not going to do it for us. They're not going to deliver on a lot of things unless we are there pushing them forward and demanding it. And, you know, in the first few months here, things have changed in some ways dramatically. But I just read there's eight mass murders in like 10 days in this country. Maybe, maybe it's two weeks, but it's, it's, I was surprised how many mass murders there's been all over this country, you know, four or more people being murdered just in March. So. Yeah. I mean, so maybe as a, a final question before we move to more open conversation with the, the whole group that's gathered here. Uh, and turn off the recording and the YouTube video. Um, and so with this difficult emotional, how, I mean, how do you take care of yourself in, in doing that? How do you keep going? You know, a lot of people get really burned out with, with activism, with organizing. Um, how, do, how do you keep going even when it's emotionally tough like that? Well, part of it is the inspiration from other countries, seeing that there are socialist countries like Vietnam, uh, you know, where COVID is not really a factor in their society. People are not dying. You know, there, there's not half a million people dead and uh, it being dismissed as, uh, you know, well, that's just what happens uh, because, you know, the people dying are no longer workers who make profit, right? That's my particular take on it is if it's children and old people, they don't really care because they don't profit off of them. But, you know, other countries are doing it right. And some of those countries have a lot less resources than we do. They just have a national healthcare service and a societal outlook that says, let's take care of each other. Let's, let's you know, step up and, you know, we're all in this together. And it's, a, it's an outlook that we need to build upon. So that's one inspiration is, uh, you know, there are other societies that are advancing quickly and they started at a much lower level than the United States a hundred years ago. You know, they used to be colonies, in fact. And you know, once they liberated themselves, they've advanced quickly. Another thing is, uh, I was just on a phone call yesterday with trade unionists and left parties and movements from I want to say seventy countries. It was hosted by um, the the trade unions and the. Uh, left parties of uh, Venezuela. And um, I had the honor of speaking to people about what's happening in the U.S. for a few minutes. And, um, you know, there's a lot happening. There's a lot, uh, a lot of things in motion around the world. And in terms of democracy and uh, change, it's really uh, uplifting and really powerful, you know. Um, they all see the failings of the US right now. 
And, uh, you know, when the U.S. is dictating what other countries should do, people are now laughing about it. They think it's funny. You know, people used to think, uh, well, I better take it seriously or even fear it. But now people think it's a joke, uh, whether it was Trump or Biden, you know, because they see Biden continuing some of the same foreign policy points. Uh, he's hostile to Venezuela. He's uh, telling the Chinese what they should do. And the Chinese are saying, you haven't been able to tell us what to do for 30 years. So there's pushback all over the world, you know. And uh, so that inspires me because I think we need to push back inside this country. And if we build movements and build organizations, we can have that voice. And we can't just be, uh, you know, repressed or uh, knocked, knocked to the side anymore. And it, it's happening. It's exciting. I'm excited. Uh, I agree. I think it is inspirational. And having seen Vietnam firsthand, I can say that was definitely inspirational to live through. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and turn off our recording. And